0: grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, who loves us with a transforming love, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, and from the Spirit who unites us all, amen. One of the most oft-quoted movie lines by Gen Xers comes from the movie Empire Strikes Back, when Yoda says to Luke, no, try not, do, or do not, there is no try. That line is right up there with Luke, I am your father, which is in the same movie, or there's no crying in baseball. But this particular line comes as Luke Skywalker is being trained by Yoda, the Jedi Master, in this dank and dark swamp where Yoda lives. And during one of these training exercises where Luke is moving around stones and the unfortunate R2-D2 with his mind, Luke's TIE fighter sinks into the swamp, and in true Luke fashion, he throws a little bit of a fit. Yoda begins to explain to him that it is possible for him to move that fighter just like he moved those stones if he would trust in the force, if he would unlearn what he had learned about the way of things in the world. And it's in this moment that Yoda gives a more complete understanding of this force that we hear about in these movies. He says, the force is our ally, created by life, is the energy that surrounds us and binds us. It is between all things. So Luke says he will try, Yoda speaks the famous line, and then Luke attempts to move the fighter. But he, of course, fails, because he believes that Yoda has asked the impossible of him. And so he storms off, like literally pouts in the corner. And Yoda, like a patient teacher that's slightly frustrated, takes a really deep breath and proceeds to move the plane onto land. To which Luke responds, I don't believe it. And Yoda looks at him and says, that is why you fail. Now this idea of a force that connects all things isn't a new idea. Saint Augustine wrote about it. Religions are built around it. And I think that George Lucas got the idea of the force from an early 20th century philosopher named Josiah Royce. Josiah believed in what is called absolute idealism which is the belief that all aspects of reality are ultimately unified in the thought of a single all-encompassing consciousness, which is a lot of fancy philosophical words to describe what Yoda calls the force. It's this thinking and his strong faith that would lead Royce to coin the term beloved community. That is a community bound together by this all-encompassing consciousness, which he names God. It would be decades after Royce's death that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would borrow this term and then deepen and expand what it meant. As a practitioner of nonviolence, for Dr. King, the beloved community was the natural outcome of a nonviolent way. It was the community that we were bound together by love that we see in Jesus. It's not a utopia but a very obtainable way of being. Both Royce and King base their philosophy, their life's work on scripture, on Jesus' example, and their understanding of the functioning of the church. But friends, beloved community doesn't begin in the New Testament as we would assume. It begins right here in Genesis 2, in our reading that we have for today. Unfortunately, this section of Genesis with chapter three, which they kind of go together and shouldn't be split, but that's what we're doing today, has been used and interpreted and misunderstood more than any other in Genesis, and some would say in the whole of the Bible. And these things have obscured God's vision for humanity, and we have missed the absolute beauty that is the beloved community that begins at the very beginning. Because so often this particular text is used to prove that heteronormative marriage and relationships are somehow biblical and that's the way things ought to be in no other way. It's also been used to back up the notion that women are somehow inferior to men. And finally, our carelessness with creation has been justified by pointing to these chapters in Genesis because we are given dominion over creation. But in Genesis chapter 2, the writer moves us away from that lovely poetic description of creation that we see in chapter 1 to begin to reflect on the implications of creation on humankind. And in doing so, we're given an image of abundant life that has purpose, that has freedom, and has boundaries. Creatures are created, even humans, and then they're placed in a garden that is created solely so that they can thrive. They are allowed free reign except for the two trees, there's the boundaries we see, and humans are given responsibility to care for the earth from which they came. Already, before we even get to our reading in verse 18, we glimpse the intention of God for humanity, living in a world that God had created. It's stunning then after hearing in chapter One, at the end of each day that it was good, and then at the end of the whole thing that it was very good, and seeing the life God intends for the creature in the early chapters, in the early verses of chapter two, that we would hear that it is not good. But what isn't good? Hasn't God created all things to be good? It is true that God has, but it isn't good that the human is alone. Here in the midst of the garden made by God for the creature, something is amiss and requires God's attention, God's creativity. So God seeks a partner for ha adam. Ha adam is the Hebrew word that the writer uses here, not the gendered ish and ishna that we'll hear later. The best way to understand this word is to say earth creature that is the one that is created from the earth, which makes sense given that this created one was made like everything else from the very earth, the dust of the earth. If we spend a moment here, we realize that we human beings are inextricably bound to the earth that we occupy. We are the same. So we don't walk upon the earth. are the earth walking around. The earth is our very substance from dust to dust, we remind ourselves on Ash Wednesday. The earth is not somehow other, the earth is us and we are the earth. So the earth becomes the third player. Actually, I don't think it's a third player. The earth is part of us in this salvation story. We hear this especially in Paul when he talks about the earth is groaning and waiting for salvation just as much as we two-legged folk are. So in Genesis, we as earth creatures are called to care for the earth, which is to care for us. So caring for the environment is self-care. Like the wholeness of the very earth is tied to our wholeness. And here at the very beginning, we are presented with the connection and the community that God intends and creation isn't even done yet. So it's not good that Ha Adam is alone or isolated. So God seeks a partner in all the other living creatures and nothing quite works. Friends, this is one of the funniest scenes in all of scripture. Just imagine it. You're Adam. You're seeking a partner. Someone that is like you, so you won't be alone. And God says, all right, well, we've got lots of choices here. Which one are you going to pick? And here comes the elephant. Can you imagine? That's not going to work. And then here comes... The mosquito, no thank you, have you seen my ankles? No. And then a snake, and then a rabbit, none of them work. So God, concerned for the well-being of Ha Adam, comes up with a fresh creative act to solve this problem. And a helper is created. Now I know you know me enough not to let that just go by. right? because this word choice here is so misleading. Because now, come on, right? If we have a helper, that person isn't equal to us. If we're the one in charge and somebody is helping us, automatically a hierarchy is formed. That's not what is described in the Hebrew here at all. Instead, The words that are used here are words that we see in other parts of Scripture that are used to describe God, or military help, or to describe leaders, or kings. So this person that God is going to create is not man's little helper to make his life better, but a true ha-adam partner for ha-adam. And this is driven home even more deeply when a deep sleep is put over Ha'adam and from the earth flesh, a new earth creature is created. And it's not just a little rib that's taken, friends, but a whole side is what the Hebrew tells us. So this one whom is created from the side of Adam is not inferior to Adam, but is equal, both of them ha-adams, earth dwellers, one part of the other. But that's not the surprising thing, none of those things about this reading that I found as I was digging into it. In Genesis 2, there is no gendered language at this point. That is, there is no male or female, man or woman, until Adam exclaims in joy, that at last there was someone who was like his flesh and his bone. Finally, Adam knows someone like him and is no longer alone. So it's here in Adam's explanation of joy that we get the language of male and female. However, these words, this language that Adams uses is not language of hierarchy, but of mutuality and empathy and equity. So here again, we are given an image of what God intended for the earth and for the earth creatures. It's so beautiful. And then comes the verse that has become so narrow in interpretation that it has caused harm to others. A man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. This is, of course, in the plain meaning of the text, talking about heteronormative marriage of one man and one woman. However, we as Lutherans don't simply look at the plain meaning of the text and be done with it. We actually dig in more deeply. So let's consider this verse more deeply in the light of everything that we've discovered so far in this section of Genesis. You see, the writer of Genesis is writing about what he knows. He looks around at him and he sees this kind of marriage as the norm. I mean, we all do it, right? Even George Lucas wrote about what he knew. He just put his story of good and evil in a different world. So it would make sense then for us to consider that this particular verse isn't prescriptive. That is saying how things should be but is descriptive, saying how things are in that moment. Just like any other culturally-conditioned social phenomenon of the time, like polygamy, or sacrificial practice, or anything else that we read about in the Old Testament that we know just doesn't, it's not how our social norms are. So this verse is not a definition of marriage, but an explanation of how each generation of ha-adam is indeed ha-adam, is the earth creature made whole all over again. More than one man and one woman consideration, we need to consider that here we hear the language that Jesus will repeat, the language of one flesh. Here is the understanding that humans are more connected to each other than any other creature. And so each generation gets to be ha-adam again as we come together, two sides of a whole. Here in 2021, looking around us, we can see clearly that heteromarriage is not the only thing that facilitates this kind of unity and recognition of our connectedness. We can see in same-gendered marriage that this is true. We can see that in deep friendships. We see it in faith communities as we become what Paul called the body of Christ. The relationship between the earth people started with empathy and mutuality and equity, and they lived with God in, within God's garden in peace. And so here in Genesis 2, we see the hope, the glimmer of the beloved community. We understand our role in God's world. We can see our freedom bound by God's love to live in love, to see love in our world. Beloved community, a reality from the very beginning. But I know how hard it is to imagine it. When we look around us, we see division and anger and hate and fear. The kind of mutuality and empathy and equity that we see as Adam encounters Eve for the first time does not describe how we are together most times. We like Luke don't believe. We don't believe that this is possible. And I don't mean that we don't believe that Jesus Christ dying and rising for us and earning our salvation isn't possible. We believe that, but we can't see God's beloved community here. We can't imagine that the love of God manifested in Jesus binds us together to create beloved community. And if we can't see it, one of our failings as earth people is then we don't believe that it exists and therefore we fail to build it. We place conditions on what it means and looks like to be loved, or to be worthy, or to be a part of the body of Christ. And friends, there are people who have been left alone because of our actions, who do not know God's love because of the way we have excluded them. It is not good for Ha'adam to be alone or isolated. So it is time for us to unlearn what we have learned, to uncondition the ways we have been conditioned, to see the unseen biases that shape our worldview so that we can build the beloved community designed by God, so that no one is without the love that binds us together. It's time for us to dig into our God-given creative spirit and create something new that welcomes all and loves all. This story reminds us of the expansive vision of God's creation meant to be lived in community with one another, bound by love. It's why when Jesus is faced with questions from the Pharisees about divorce, he chides them because they seek human, legalistic, limiting answers about something that was never meant to be so. And so Jesus rightly points out that they are the ones with hardened hearts and then refers them back to this very part of Genesis and the beginnings of our life together. They, like us, like Peter, have their minds on human things and so miss the whole point of Jesus the Christ that it is in Jesus that we are made whole, that we are formed into a full body, that Jesus is the one who makes us into people, created in the image of God and loved no matter what, and that we then bear that into the world. In Jesus, God's kingdom, the very community that God created in the beginning actually came to the earth creatures and we are given grace and freedom to continue to build that community, to see what is hard to see, to trust our God in the midst of things that we do not understand, and then to actually do the work of the kingdom building, not just try. And friends, it begins here, in this place, as we gather together to worship our God, as we come to this table where we gather and practice what it means to be one body, what it means to be the beloved community loved by God. And then we are strengthened in our faith and our resolve to go out into the world to actually be those things, to do these things, trusting in the image that God has given us. The only thing I can say to that is praise be to God for this goodness.